And the explanation I suggest to you, it is connected to your salvation. It's not just intellectual. What I want you to understand is what we are going to go through now, which is a um, not common thing to be presented in a camp meeting or in a church. It's something that I presented for years and years and years to my students, the pastors, in many classes at the seminary. But it is necessary because your salvation is by faith, but faith is connected directly on your understanding of God. And how do you develop this understanding of God? Okay, there may be many sources, either the Bible or the Bible plus other sources. Yesterday we spoke that other Christians... They go to the Bible and other sources. Catholics, the Bible and other sources. Basically, they call it tradition, but it could be uh, kind of break down into many sources. So, please keep that in mind, because now what we are going to ask is, how do we hear the Word of God? How do we know? And so now you have to, to focus on the process that you are actually doing now. Because now what are you doing? Listening. Not the Word of God exactly, but you are listening to a fellow human being. Now, Jesus, the greatest revelation of God, taught us how. He came here as a human being so that he could talk to us directly. So basically what I am trying to say is that if we were to meet Jesus, Jesus will have the same tools that I have to communicate with you, basically. Which means that in order for me to have faith, I need to be aware of the process of interpretation. Now, there is a problem there, right? Why? Because not everyone understands the Bible in the same way. And why is it that they understand the Bible in different ways? That's what we are going to study now. So, you see, in this slide, there you have the slide, a ba basic diagram of what happens when you know anything. There is a microscope with something underneath that you can look at and develop a knowledge of, right? But that could be anything. It could be what I am talking now. Or it could be these beautiful flowers that are there. Or you will try to know the carpet, or, or the piano, or music, or whatever. There is always a capability that we have in our minds to receive information through our eyes, or through our ears, or through our sensory perception of things that are outside of ourselves. And then, inside of us, through our brains, we process them into knowledge. So what happens is that what is outside is now inside. So the flowers are there, but they are also inside here. So that then you can close your eyes and you can remember. You can remember a piece of music. So where are those things? They are inside of you. So think of this as a computer. We are the greatest computer on earth. And I am bringing the computer because we know, at least these days, we have more information about these things that we had when I started using this analogy. 
So in the next slide, we have this diagram. Instead of having one individual, we have two individuals. Think about this. If I am trying to or concentrated my knowledge on the organ and you are concentrated your knowledge on the flower and then we report what we know, is there going to be a difference? Yes or no? Yes. Why? Because I am thinking on this object and you are thinking of the other object and therefore the reports will be necessarily different. But what happens if we take, as in this slide, two individuals, no, the, 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 the previous slide, uh, we have these two individuals that have different backgrounds. One, the one on top, is a student, student of science. The second one is a student of theology, probably from Notre Dame. I didn't have another way of letting you know graphically that this was a religious individual, so from Notre Dame, but it could very well be a student from the seminary. If we put these two, st two students with different backgrounds, one doesn't know the background of the other, okay? And they see the same thing. Would the report be the same? No. No, it will never be the same. Where is the cause of the difference? Is it in the object? No, because the object is the same. So the difference in the report, the difference of the perception, the difference of the knowledge come from inside. Inside, which means the experience that they had before coming to that object. So, to that, in the next slide, we see the cause of diversity. The object is the same, but, but each individual brings to the object of knowledge under consideration different life experiences. I hope that this is clear. So now we move to another step. Let's think of ourselves as a computer. The computer, you know, can process things, files, a PDF file there. But the computer can process the PDF file with different applications, correct? And the applications will work in the same file producing different results. So if you have a Kindle application, you can apply it to the PDF file and get an e-book. But you will not get a printed book. To get a printed book, you have to go to some other place in Amazon, create space, and apply another application to the same file, and you will get a book, but not a picture. See, if you want a picture from the same file, you have to apply another application, and then you will have the picture. I hope that this is clear. The same brain can process the same issue with different applications. In this case, the application will be different life experiences. Now, let's bring that to human level. So the computer will be the human, the file will be the Bible, and the applications will be prior experiences that people bring to read the Bible.
An atheist will read the Bible and will consider that an old human book of fables. An scientist, unless it is a Christian one, will read the Bible and see in it the result of evolution. A child, <laughs> the child has very little life experience, right? Jesus said that we should enter into the kingdom of heaven if you were as child. So basically, I think that he was saying, you have to come to me and leave aside all your human and listen only to me. But the child will go to the same Bible and find simple stories about God. I hope that this is clear to you up to this point. This is the process on which, of, from which or through which we come to know. By the way, what I am saying to you is taught and, I mean, is, is a, a simplification of philosophy. So what I am telling you is not something that I have invented. I am just illustrating this thing to, to you. Philosophers that study how do we know they come up with this basic structure. They come up with many other things that I do not take from them because they, then they begin to interpret and take assumptions that are not coming from the Bible. But this is just a description of what we actually do. So it's very useful. All these life experiences, now we are going to define under the category of presupposition, which is a supposition that I have pre before I know. Before I know, I have something in my mind. When I was a child, everything that I had in my mind was the things that my mother taught me, right? But then I began to read and read and read, and then, you know, this thing begins to fill. Still, it's not filled after 74 years. Uh, there is much more place, and in my case, many things are deleted, but that's another story. I came with some problems of hard drive there and the memory is not working well, but my, my wife has a good hard drive. She remembers things, not me. Presuppositions are, what are a presupposition, a definition? Presuppositions are all the contents of human experience that the human being brings with, with him or human beings brings with them to the task of interpreting the data or whatever comes to their attention. That's a presupposition. All the contents of my life, so everything that is in your memory. And that's what happens. When you are listening to me, everything is there working. You are not selecting, but automatically our minds begin to function to bring into the, the forefront of our consciousness elements that allows you to actually make sense or applications or connections with things that I am saying now. This is the way we think. And so these presuppositions there work as lenses through which we see things. Think on the applications in our minds are things that allowed us to see. Let me, uh, where is this going? Mm -hmm. Here it is. Uh, 
think of the following. You have uh, a, a, a strong headache. Would you go to the pastor saying, I have a headache, unless the headache it comes from a brother or sister. But if you have a physical headache, where do you go? You go to the doctor. If you have a problem, oh, look at this, you know, there is a spot here. Would it be or wouldn't it be cancer? Where are you going? To the mechanic? No. You go to the specialist. Why you pay the big bucks to the specialist? What is different in the specialist from the mechanic? What it has in here? He has been there for over 10 years looking at all these things, and he has sorted these things in here. That's why they, <laughs> when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, do you want to see your, your, your x-rays? I pass. What I am going to see? Look at this. I don't want to see nothing. I don't understand. I pay you the big bucks so you tell me because you have the presupposition. The same thing about the pastors or the teachers in the church. They should know much more the Bible and all these things so that they can actually solve the problem to the church, not create them. Okay, let's move on in here. So, the following slide. Are presuppositions at work in the conflict between Christian churches? And are presuppositions also in the next slide? Uh, so, there is a Catholic Church, the Protestant Evangelical Churches, Adventism. Are presuppositions at the bottom of the divisions or not? Do we have presuppositions? Could we trace the di diversity that we have in Adventism to presuppositions? And my answer to you is absolutely. That's what I am spending your time. It is because it goes back there. And that's where I want you to come, to go behind what rules and causes the divisions in the Christian world for centuries and is causing the divisions in our church now. So, my suggestion to you is that there are presuppositions back... You see, the Pope has power, but not so much power. The power cannot say, well, the clock saves you, and it is true because I say so, because I am the Pope. It's not going to fly in the Catholic Church, even if it is the Pope. The Pope can make some decisions, but within a limit of the presuppositions that are accepted by all the members of the Church. He cannot say, uh, Ellen G. White is the true prophet. He cannot, he cannot say that for obvious reasons, because of the presupposition. What I am trying to tell you is that the unity of the Catholic Church does not depend on the Pope and does not depend on the, on the priest. It depends on a set of presuppositions that they all are adhering to faithfully throughout 2,000 years or about. Then, the Protestants and Luthers. Lutheranism. Have presupposition? Yes. I am making this very short. The presuppositions of the evangelicals are at least 90% identical to the Catholics. They challenge the Catholics in salvation, not by merits, but by, 
not by merits or works, but by faith. And they challenged the Catholics on the function of the Pope as a king ruling. But now the Pope is not the king. He's a fellow from Argentina, you know, we are easy going. <laughs> um, we, we love everybody, and so he's loving everybody, kissing the feet, and everybody is happy, and who am I to condemn anyone, you see, and everybody is happy. And all the protesters are coming. Why? Because he's not the king. And then he says, I believe in justification by faith. He said that. They have documents, so now there is no reason to be separated because the presuppositions are 99% equal. Now, remember that yesterday I told you that Ellen G. White says that the pioneers discovered a complete system of theology based on the principles of Adventism. I suggest to you that there is also a set of presuppositions that determine what we believe to be Adventism, that it is 180 degrees different than the presuppositions of all these other Christians. It's not a minor difference. It's not one or two distinctive doctrines. It's completely different. A hundred percent different. And I will try to show you that. Whether you understand it completely today, probably not. I will work on this tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. So, let's go to the next slide. I said that presuppositions are everything that is in your mind. So this is a law and about a lot of things. You have presuppositions about ice cream, you know. You have your favorites, so okay. But that doesn't have much about reading the Bible, right? So we have in some way, and this is one of the problems that I have seen with my colleagues and my students, they believe presuppositions is everything that we have, and so of course we cannot read the Bible without presuppositions, and if you come from another culture, and if you are old, or you are young, or you are woman, or you are man, or whatever, you will be bound to read the Bible different, and we will never come to one accord. Well, in order to solve that, we need to sort out or classify the kind of presuppositions that we have. And that's what I have in this uh, slide that I don't know if you see them. A young person from down there told me that he sees everything. But I don't know whether I would see that from the back. But basically there is the Bible and then circles that represent different ty types of uh, presuppositions. The first is temperament, the second life experience, the third culture, then theological method, and then hermeneutical principles. You have different temperament that I have, for sure. Uh, life experiences is individual, so we all have different life experiences. So we cannot attempt to come to an unified understanding of the Bible on the basis of our presuppositions of the temperament, life experience, culture. I come from Argentina. What do you know? Uh, even if you are from Argentina, I come from, I don't know, uh, kind of a century ago. You know, that's good to say. You know, I've been around a long time, but you are young, and so you don't have that experience. How in the world are you going to relate to me if 
my you know, basis for understanding the Bible comes from my culture. Imagine that. Our church will never be united because it's a global church. So, theological method, well, yeah, theological method could be, but it's not really it. It comes to some major principles that we will call it hermeneutica. I hope that you get this point. We are going to zero in some things that we assume, all have to assume when we read the Bible, even when we know every, anything. Next slide. You have to think about levels of presuppositions of things that we have in our mind when we come to read the, the Bible. Now, this is just reading the Bible, okay? So there are some presuppositions that we need to have when we go to read the Bible. Now, this is the exegesis that we are more familiar with in Adventism. The principles of interpretation of the Bible are the principles that allowed us to actually read the Bible that is in a, uh, um, uh, in, in a language that is an old language that is not spoken anymore, and that we are able to understand the meaning of the words. That is biblical exegesis, and I call it micro because it is a small, uh, let's say, range. It ranges only to the words of the Bible. The second is meso-hermeneutic, which means it's a little bit broader, which are the, inter the, the principles that we have when we understand doctrines. And the doctrines come from connecting different uh, texts and passages of the Bible. And finally, we have macro-hermeneutics with principles that come from philosophy. That's why this is macro-hermeneutics, and it comes from philosophy. Why from philosophy? Now, this is one-on-one philosophy for you, I am sure. Philosophy is the science of the general. The science that you have studied here in America is um, factual science. You go to the fact. You go to the flower, you go to the seed, you go to the atom, you go to the little thing that moves within the atom, and that's what you know. This is not the, the science of the general, this is the science of, science of the individual. Here the philosophers study the general things. What is the general concept of man? This is not even anthropology. So probably this is a very unfamiliar feel for you. So let me just go to one thing here so that you will understand better, giving you some examples. Definition of macrohermeneutical principles is hermeneutical principles are all encompassing definitions and theories that the subject, I mean, that means you and me, must bring to the scientific activity or the religious reading of the Bible in order to interpret that data and clarify the issues. So, hermeneutical principles are all-encompassing definitions, broad ideas that we have, broad ideas. This is nothing definite. This is not a complex theory. It's a broad idea. I am going to give you examples. So, these are the issues that we have macrohermeneutical 
presuppositions about. And I don't have time to explain to you how this works also outside theology. But start from the right. What do you find there? God, human nature, humans, the world, revelation and inspiration, hermeneutics, method. In the center you have principle of reality, principle of articulation, and then principle of knowledge. And then you have here reality in general. Uh, Tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, I am going to be talking about uh, God, nature, and the principle of articulation, both in the evangelical tradition, Catholic tradition, and then in the final presentation in our biblical Adventist experience. So, you understand that every, every time that we come to the church, we have a, an idea about God. At times we talk about that as the character of God. But the character of God is too broad to be a presupposition. It can work as a presupposition. I mind you, there is not a problem. But when we are talking about this, uh, God is just what kind of reality God is. Human nature. You and I. Let me give you an example with human nature, and then perhaps you begin to understand what I am talking about. Most Christians and non-Christians that are not atheists, I assume, believe that we have a soul, right? So, do we have a soul? Well, don't, uh, don't answer. I suppose that you will tell me no, but many of my students will say, yes, we have a soul. We have not been teaching these things. But one of the um, pillars of Adventism is the non-immortality of the soul. But more than that, we have the idea that there is not a soul that exists different from the body. We are the soul as humans. When we die, we die, and there is no soul uh, going around. Well, this is the assumption that I am talking to you about. When I go and read the Bible as an Adventist, I do not assume that the soul is something that is out there. So when... uh, Saul goes there and asks the uh, witch uh, to, uh, to bring Samuel. We know that that's not Samuel. Why? <laughs> because Samuel is dead, and the death do not come. So we understand that the one that he saw is an impersonation by a devil. You see how our presupposition about human nature allows us to understand a passage of the Bible. The same thing happens with justification by faith, because in justification by faith, what is justification by faith? It's an action of God. In your experience and my experience, the same God. So how I understand God to be and how I understand God to act will determine my understanding of salvation. Again, and I don't have time to enter into that, the way in which we understand salvation as sanctification is directly connected to our belief that we are an historical soul connected to the body and we are not a soul like the others. And the way in which the Catholics believe in salvation, in merits, and the Protestants believe in salvation without merit is connected to that as well. Yeah. Still, I have a little time. So, 
To know is to interpret, knowledge is interpretation, faith requires interpretation. Macrohermeneutics in Catholicism, they take their macrohermeneutics, that means they interpret all these issues that I just put on there from the perspective of tradition. They say, however highly one may esteem the results of positive theology, positive theology is biblical theology. One thing is certain, this is said by the Catholic Encyclopedia. One thing is certain, the scientific character of dogmatic theology. Dogmatic theology will be the doctrines of the church for them. The scientific character of dogmatic theology does not rest so much on the exactness of its exegetical and historical proof as on the philosophical grasp of the content of the dogma. So the dogmas are based in the Bible? No, the dogmas are based on philosophy. Very good. What philosophy? The same source. This is the Aristotelic scholastic philosophy which has gained an ever stronger foothold in ecclesiastical institutions. So what kind of philosophy do they follow? Aristotelic scholastic philosophy. Is Aristotelic scholastic theology coming from the Bible? No. Do they abide from, by the sola scriptura principle? No. But they take teachings about God and about men from philosophy that are pagan philosophers that are working completely in contradiction to the Bible and they develop and interpret the Bible. In Protestantism, Luther, no teacher of the church taught better than Augustine. It would be too bad if we did not have Augustine. Now, what or who was Augustine? Augustine is uh, the father, well, he's not the father of all heresies because uh, uh, origin came before, but it is the one that codified all this combination of philosophy that he followed to understand the Bible. And they kind of present that philosophy as something that was revealed supernaturally to God, to him. No book, says Luther, except the Bible and Saint Augustine has come to my attention from which I have learned more about God, Christ, man, and all things. So where are they taking all these things? From Augustine, and Augustine is following Plato to the letter, which adaptation, I mean, he adapts Plato to Christianity, and from that perspective, they interpret the Bible actually, and then develop the theories. Now we go to Ellen G. White. What does Ellen G. White say? Human theories and speculations will never lead to an understanding to God's Word. Those who suppose that, un that they understand philosophy think that their explanations are necessary to unlock the treasures of knowledge and to prevent heresies from coming into the church. But it is these explanations that have brought in false theories and heresies. So when we bring philosophy to the church and to the interpretation of the Bible, the results are, according to Ellen G. White, heresies. What about Daniel? Daniel did not walk in sparks of his own kindling, but made the Lord his wisdom. Divine philosophy was made the foundation of his education. So where did Daniel build his religion? on philosophy, but on divine philosophy. 
Where was that divine philosophy? In the Old Testament. What is that the evangelicals do not bring to the belief of uh, salvation and theology? The Old Testament. They just go to... <laughs> They just go to Romans, and they read Romans, and they read Romans with the assistance of Augustine directly. Go to anyone, and they will tell you that. That's what they are doing. And Augustine uh, brings Plato into, into the game. So they are understanding the Bible with principles that are directly contradictory to the Bible. So, the Bible contains and unfolds a simple and complete system of theology and philosophy, says Ellen G. White. So, are there presuppositions that work at conflict between Christian churches? Yes. Aquinas for the Catholics and for the Protestants, we have Augustine and the Bible for Adventists. So, here are we have the macro-hermeneutical principles, and I suggest to you in the final uh, slide, the next slide, that at the foundational level, um, a formative Adventist, they depart from all Christian theological traditions because, now follow me on this. When I go, no, go to the next, there. Uh, the pillars of Adventism are the macro-hermeneutical principles. So the sanctuary actually is where the Bible reveals the presuppositions about God, macro-presuppositions. Reveal what the Bible believes about reality in general, about revelation and about articulation. Articulation means how do you put together everything that you find in the Bible. This is one of the major problems, because you read this in the Bible, the other in the Bible, then you quote a passage here, another pas passage there, and what we are doing these days, and the preachings that we have these days, not what Pastor Rome preaches in here, but many preachers, they just give you a verse, and they build on that, they get a conclusion, you are happy, go lucky, you go home, you don't make any connection. The connection, you made them with the last movie that you saw, basically. That's not faith that saves. The immortality of the soul is another of our basic principles or pillars of Adventism. The law and Sabbath, they give us the understanding of creation, the principle of the world, cosmology. But at the level of foundation in Adventism is the sola scriptura. So if we don't have the sola scriptura, we are completely out of the possibility of developing any unity. And Sola Scriptura starts by interpreting first the macro-hermeneutical principles of theology, which all the churches draw from philosophy and science. Because in creation here, these days, everybody believes and interprets the Bible from the viewpoint of evolution. This is what has changed Christianity completely in the 20th century. Even Catholicism of late, the last 50 years, has accepted uh, evolution as a macro-presupposition that comes from science and is contradictory to the Bible. Now, this is not in, the, in this presentation, but I knew that I will have like uh, eight minutes now.
And I want you to try to understand, let's go to the previous, the other, here. Reality in general. The reality in general is the place where Adventists completely departed from tradition. And this was, this took place on October 23, 1844, when Iram Edson, after the great disappointment, trying to think about what had happened that Christ did not come yesterday, he says, Eureka, I know Jesus entered in heaven to the most holy place. Of course, they did not know what they, they did. But they actually, in that very moment, they canceled completely the tradition of philosophy. Why? Because according to philosophy, there is not a place that is called heaven. Heaven is not a place. You might have heard that. Obviously, in the Bible it is. And besides, in heaven and in God, there is no time. God does not have past, present, and future. He just does not. This, he is eternal. And to be eternal, he must be static. He cannot actually develop or have a past, present, and future. He cannot do new things. He cannot actually do some things now and then later on and then later on. God cannot do these things. Plato says these things that I am telling you directly in his writings. He cannot will something now and then will something then. He wills all together at the same time. He never moves. So, can there be an investigative judgment? Can there be an 1844? Can there be something that God did at the cross of Christ? Can Christ be the author of our salvation? Because God can not act in space and time. But for us, for you, for me, we believe that God can act in space and time. Can God answer your prayers? No. Because to answer the prayers, he will have to hear something new from you that he didn't know before. Besides, he has to act in response to that, but he cannot act in space and time and to respond. Can he have with you a personal experience? No. That's why they have spirituality. I don't know whether you are familiar with spirituality, but the spirituality is the way in which the Christians, evangelicals, they believe that they get in touch with God, and they get in touch with God by kind of eliminating everything that is in space and time in hopes that they could in some way penetrate this beyond space and time realm of divinity and get in touch with them. Basically, that's what they teach. If you want, just go and listen to one of the gurus on spirituality. You can listen to opera or whatever. This is what everybody is believing, including the oriental um, religions. But Adventism, following the Bible, believe that God is a God that is compatible with space and time.
is not a static God, it is an historical God. It's a God that is present. It's a God that could be present here, but is present outside of you. It's only invisible, but is present. The highest revelation of God was given in space and time, and that was Jesus Christ. And when we go to heaven, if and by his grace that happens to all of us, the way we will see to, uh, Jesus will be in glory, but in space and time. The new Jerusalem will be where? In space and time. Here in Jerusalem where he died. Then we will have those interplanetary trips and all that stuff. But the way to understand the Bible, the entire Bible, the way in which Adventists have understood all these things is historical. We have it in a nutshell. How do the great controversy and the great controversy is the history of God with men from past eternity to future eternity. Let God help you, me, and all the brethren of the Adventist church to read the Bible from that perspective and other elements that I am going to add in the next two presentations so that the unity of theology could lead us to the unity of faith that the unity of faith can lead us to spiritual unity, that spiritual unity can be the, the portal to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to finish the mission of the church and to go forward to the finish and meet uh, Jesus in glory. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.